Hello everyone and welcome back to the Computer Vision in Production podcast show. The podcast show where we talk all about everything computer vision. From the individual components of the technology including vision, cameras and deep learning. Right through to hearing about some of the most interesting applications that companies are using at the moment. Hello everyone and welcome to the Computer Vision in Production podcast. I'm your host Anthony Kelly. Today's guest is Patrick Fullop. Patrick is currently a co-founder and CTO of UK-based startup Neurolabs. Patrick, it's it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Hi, Anthony. Th- thank you very much for having me. One of very few people uh, who I've actually been able to meet prior to uh, recording a podcast, simply down to COVID, travel restrictions, and it being, I suppose, a pretty difficult 22 months, uh, to, to say the least, in terms of getting into the office, face-to-face meetings, but... Yes, it's definitely been difficult, but it was great to catch up, and I've been working for four years now uh, from home, basically, so <laughs> that's been difficult. I'm looking forward to uh, going into an office soon. Uh, sounds good, sounds good. Before we sort of start to talk about about everything that, you know, neuro labs are doing, why don't you start off, start off in, in giving us a bit of an overview about yourself um, also. Uh, I'm Romanian. I currently live in London in the UK. Um, I grew up most of my life in Romania and um, I spent one year uh, after high school uh, studying in Romania uh, computer science, through which I moved um, to Edinburgh, to the UK. And uh, two of my good friends and now co-founders, Paul and Remus, were there already. And they kind of convinced me uh, to to go to university in Edinburgh. And uh, yeah, that's how I ended up um, across the pond uh, studying computer science and physics. Yeah, fast forward a couple of years later, uh, here we are. We started a company. It's going good. Yeah, excited to see what's next. Look, it's obviously quite quite interesting when I see people who've chose a career in in computer vision. It's 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 not. <laughs> it's not everything it's it's not it's always in the news but it's not stuff that people i suppose autumn you kind of have to have either a vision to get into it to know that it's for you or m- other people just just sort of fall into it maybe by being you know programmers or having you know degrees in computer science but you've a little bit of a again a, a different background you've come from quantum computing do you want to tell us about how you 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 got into quantum computing, then how you changed into computer vision and what got you to, to change, really? Yeah, sounds, sounds good. Um, so, as I was saying, I spent uh, quite a bit of time in Romania studying computer science. Uh, but before that, in high school, um, I was doing physics and I had uh, Ramos, my friend, he was doing Olympiads in physics. That was kind of the thing to do uh, back in the days. And... Um, uh, I, I just found it as fascinating, and that was the closest thing. The closest thing you had to a, a good degree in, in Romania in terms of technology was going to do computer science. So I started that. But um, during the, the physics classes uh, back there uh, in, in in university, I found out about quantum physics, and I just really wanted to do more of that. And uh, so I moved to Edinburgh, and I started uh, studying physics and computer science. And about yeah, two, three years later, um, I found out there's this new field emerging, quantum computing, and I found a brilliant professor uh, at the University of Edinburgh who is a leader in the field. 
and she became yeah, my supervisor um, and mentor for for a bachelor project. And um, in general, um, I just found the intersection of uh, physics and spe specifically statistical physics um, and complex systems quite interesting. So um, after after university. Uh, I went to work for two years as a software engineer. I didn't really know what's going on, so I said, "Okay, let's let's do a bit of work and uh, see what what comes out of that." But um, I, I didn't. It wasn't quite quite for me. So uh, I reached out to my former supervisor, whose husband um, had a PhD, and after a few chats with him, I started a PhD with him. You know, as a PhD, you you start with a proposal, but in this case, it was a bit different. It was a bit like okay, let's see what we're going to do after we start working together. And he was already working on complex systems and uh, the intersection of complex systems in biology. And um, he's a mathematician, quite brilliant. So started looking at these uh, deep learning models called restricted Boltzmann machines. And uh, for anyone that does physics, it, it's, it's in, there's a clear kind of overlap between the techniques that are used in ML and deep learning in the early days in 2006 and the Boltzmann distribution that you're taught in any kind of third, third year, fourth year physics course in university. So I said, okay, well, this sounds really interesting, and I see, I see the resemblance between the physical systems and and it's the same methods, Monte Carlo sampling, and all of that. So I started to learn more about generative modeling. Then I saw that this is applied in computer vision, and this is how I kind of transitioned from something that interested me more like philosophically to something that was just just starting up to to be it was a hot topic let's say and obviously quite quite interesting then how did you how did you find the transition going from quantum computing to computer vision to com well not massively you know both very technical in their own rights but but yeah, you know, good to good to kind of get a feeling as to what that learning curve was like. It's it's a, it's interesting. I I think that at the end of the day, you have some foundational skills, and they they matter a lot. So you have you have linear algebra, you have uh, just the mathematics that kind of underpins both both physics and computer vision, and then you have the programming skills, and you do a few courses here and there, and. Uh, you just get better at at doing specific things within that domain um, to some extent. So, from my from my perspective, it was more about the theory and behind uh, generative modeling, unsupervised learning, and one of the applications was was imaging and computer vision. So it was kind of a natural follow up. I wasn't really interested in natural language processing or any anything like that. But yeah, it, it hasn't always been easy. Okay. Okay, cool. Look, you mentioned you, you co-founded Neurolabs with your two friends. Why don't you sort of tell me about where, first off, the idea from the business came from? Paul, what, the CEO for Neurolabs, as I mentioned, we were old friends for, for a very long time. And when he, he was about 2017, 2018, 2018, yeah, he, he stopped uh, working uh, as, at a company that was doing tracking uh, for, for football players and he was using computer vision. And he came to me and Ramos and said, okay, we should start the company. Um, what should we do? So we did a bit of brainstorming, you know, as three three, co three technical co-founders that never really uh, had any entrepreneurial skills before. And 
it took about six to eight months to kind of converge to the idea of using uh, synthetic data and uh, generating synthetic data using computer graphics uh, to replace the need of human annotations and real data annotations. And yeah, that's kind of how we started uh, the, the company. And then we also had a fourth kind of colleague, a fourth colleague and who joined us uh, later down the line, who's a computer graphics expert. And I think this is when, for me personally, it was very interesting to, to see the combo between the two and learn from him and explore both areas. And in the last year or so, it's been, it's been quite a, an interesting journey to see the, the cutting edge technology that is available in, in iPhones and yeah, things like this that combine computer graphics and computer vision. So then the idea for Neural Labs was born. Where and how did you come? I appreciate, and I know we spoke about this, that you know you guys are still on the edge of research. So I do want to say, how do you productize a, a, a research concept? But you're still, you're you're operating on, I suppose, playing playing football on two pitches, right? You know, still doing research, still having a product then as well. But yeah. From the mm-hmm. initial research, how did you look to productize that? Yeah, so so it's it's interesting. Um, so as I mentioned, um, so Neur- Neurolabs um, started um, as a synthetic computer vision company. So you take a graphics engine, like a gaming engine, like producing games like Unity or Blender, which is open source, and uh, you build virtual worlds where which, which you can control and understand. And from there, you can generate data with annotations that can be then used to train computer vision models. So this is this is how we started. We started by by using 3D assets of of uh, consumer product goods, so CPG uh, products, and we generated data using that and applied them to to train computer vision models to detect products in various situations. So one of the situations actually we started with, but was was kind of not successful because of the pandemic, was canteens. So we were generating products, or, or I guess. Uh, replicas of food and then detecting this on a, on a we had a, a hardware piece as well and we were detecting food so that was quite interesting but uh, then 2020 March came and everything had shut down so so that was a bit interesting so we pivoted towards tracking shelves in the store so our product right now uh, reshelf consists of uh, synthetic data uh, models uh, synthetic data synthetic computer vision that tracks the shelf of a supermarket in, in uh, almost real time using cameras, uh, either fixed or, or, or um, moving cameras. And uh, we are able to give insights into what they have on the shelf at any given time. This is the product that, um, that we're offering today, part of our suit. And as you mentioned, there's a challenge to productize re- the research that you're doing and uh, from the get-go, we felt that we have to invest a lot of time and energy into making synthetic data and making synthetic computer vision work. And we're getting there. It's it's it's, it's getting better and better. And um, it takes time, but it, it's the only way you can scale such a technology. So, for example, in um, in the CPG lifecycle or in, in supermarkets, you have about 20 to 25% of, of products changing packaging. So that's that's quite, quite a high high rate of package change. So you need to retrain a model 
uh, in theory. Whereas what we do, we, because we have the synthetic data, it's easy to generate and train a model on the fly um, when you have these sort of packaging changes. Yeah, in general, we're trying to have this quick uh, feedback between changes within a store or changes in products, uh, adding new products, things like that, to to having a technology that scales quickly to any of these changes. Where does and how does the research side of, of your business work? Um, and, and how how do you justify being a company of your size? You know, user are quite small. How do you justify being a small business and say, look, we're going to allocate a certain amount of time to selling products, making money, but then also research. And the reason I ask is, you know, a lot of companies at your size just just focus on getting revenue in and keeping the lights on. But, you know, you guys have, have, have got a, a different way of thinking. Yeah, it's true. So right now we're, we're focusing CPG products and we're focusing on the, on the shelf. But our kind of long-term goal is to become a leader of synthetic computer vision and to enable multiple applications using this kind of technology. And in order to do that, we need to invest a lot of time in building this technology and scaling technology, not necessarily in maximizing uh, the revenue uh, that we could get from one use case or another. Um, so that that's kind of the the avenue we take. And right now, our core focus, let's say, it's, uh, it's making and productizing this, this retail uh, reshelf product that tracks the shelves and gives insights into availability. But on the other hand, we're exploring other use cases where where we can recognize these products and we can use the our our technology and our edge to to deploy them. And you see a future where by you know five to ten years, anyone who comes on your labs platform can use synthetic computer vision to deploy a computer vision model in production. And they won't need data. They 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 might need some data or explaining some in some way, you know, the, the situation that they're trying to resolve, but they might need very little data to have something up and running as quickly as possible. And more importantly, they wouldn't need any computer vision expertise to do this. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the key the key deterrent to to how things are done today. Um, but it's it's there are other companies as well that are trying to democratize, let's say, computer vision. Yeah, nice, nice, cool. Yeah. And so then if we go further just into the product, and I'm going to ask mm -hmm. you maybe to say this. So synthetic data and synthetic computer vision, you know, most people listening, when they think that, they will think something generated by GANs. Um, it's, and that's because that's, that's what's been trending for synthetic data, right? Um, yeah. How would you describe to your friends down the pub? Synthetic data and synthetic computer vision. Uh, so, you know, we're in the pub and uh, imagine I have a way of uh, replicating everything in the pub in a virtual world. And then because I can replicate that virtual world, the digital twin of the pub, I can then have access to various objects inside that pub so I can have a camera and then train a model to recognize those objects. In um. In the real world right now, you would need label data to to do that. And whether you're using guns to you know to to simulate this thing, it's still limited to what real data you see. Whereas if I have a digital copy of the pub, then it means I have 
the chairs in there so I can use the chairs somewhere else. They're all digital assets that I can use in different environments. So I can I can randomize and I can create as much variation as I would like um, in a virtual world. Yeah, one of, one of the key challenges is this domain domain gap, which is seen more in uh, synthetic data that's using graphics engine rather than the gun the gun ones. What's the sort of combination of technologies? Because I suppose you're using Unity technologies, Unreal technologies, 3D technologies, and computer vision technologies. How how does that blend work? And I suppose as as a guy that's doing computer vision, does that not become quite overwhelming to have all these different components? Yeah, I, I guess so. I, we we try to hire smart people that can uh, think more about <laughs> about them independently. Yeah. So in terms of the technology stack um, for computer vision, uh, we use some of the tools available out there. There's a lot of state of the art models that have open source code. I think one of the challenges is to make it work at scale and you know have the necessary expertise in house to change things uh, to to solve the problem you're trying to solve, not not the general problem. So that's on the computer vision. And it's really important that the role of ML operations is really important. Ha- having a, Keeping track of, you know, the same way you have source code uh, versioning, you need to have model versioning, you need to have data versioning, uh, you need to have good experiment tracking. So all of these things play a part in productionizing this computer vision. Um, deployments as well are, are important and uh, not, not not uh, easy to make. So so that's on the computer vision side. And on the computer graphics side, we have a team dedicated to uh, to using technologies like you said, like Unity, Unreal, Blender, and other kinds of tools to to create these virtual worlds and to generate data and to yeah to to version this data so that that then it can be used by the computer vision team. And we also have a, a, a kind of a internal uh, loop between the two so one one of them uses the other to to make to make the models and the data better okay nice yeah cool, look appreciate that and then in in relation to the customers that you're serving how how does your product impact them as I mentioned, uh, one of the end customers for us is the supermarket and the store the store managers that want to have um, insights into their availability uh, of products during the day. For that, uh, we actually have a solution ready, almost ready to use. We have different versions of the solution, different tiers, I guess. But uh, yeah, what, what they do, they set up a camera. Uh, they set up a feed using our APIs, and then they get insights into what products they have available. And we actually have a nice integration with UiPath as well, another Romanian-US publicly listed company, actually, whereby we we use these kind of robotic automation processes to take the, the data from our platform and to visualize it in whatever tool uh, the store manager wants. So whether it's you know some Microsoft tool or some some other sort of tool, it's it's quite flexible. So we don't want to be stuck with a, with our own dashboard and things like that. At the same time, there's there's another kind of class of of, of users, uh, which is software integrators who already have solutions and work with supermarkets and want to 
have a better solution that they can offer. So they integrate with us. And again, we provide endpoints and uh, platform to, to manage these, to get predictions and to uh, what products you have in an image, essentially. Yeah, and this this helps them with the um, principle for the shelf monitoring. It helps them with, with stockout and measuring stockout as well. So one of the problems is stockout and that they exist, but also measuring them is quite hard. So that's where Neurolabs' solution comes in. What's what's your goals as as a business in, in how you look to further progress them? I suppose even around like value chain uh, or, or what's what's next even. Yeah. So as I mentioned, we're doing CPG product detection, consumer product goods, and we want to expand across the value chain of, uh, of where these products are found. So. You know, the, the product that you see on the shelf at some point was in a warehouse, uh, then it was in a fulfillment center, then it got on the shelf, from the shelf it got into a consumer's home, and then from the consumer's home hopefully got to a recycling uh, place. And uh, we, we're trying to tackle computer vision um, problems across this value chain. Uh, because with our technology, we can we can generate data in various situations and we can use the 3D assets that we have to deform them or to apply physics or to do all sorts of things that render better data and better algorithms for different use cases across this value chain. Nice, excellent. Yeah. And then, yeah, let, let's go into then the, the, the fun part of it, the underlying computer vision technologies. Let's start off with the, the, the 3D technologies for computer vision. Why don't you tell us about about what you've implemented and, and how it works? So in our case, um, as I mentioned, we we do three D um, reconstruction and three D reconstruction of assets and three D um, virtual worlds, and then we use um, rendering engines like Unity to render this this data and to get annotations and labels. And there's a growing kind of community that works around reproducing uh, or reconstructing these 3D assets in automatic ways. So, you know, you have a, a video of a product 360 and you use algorithms to to infer the, the structure, the materials, um, the light conditions it can be in and so on. So all, all of this, all of this uh, technology is sometimes using, or in the late, latest years, it's using uh, neural networks and because of this automatic reconstruction. So I'm talking here specifically about neural radiance fields. And using this kind of technology, you can also create embeddings for 3D models, in theory at least. And you can use these um, embeddings to further create variation in your assets. So this is something that uh, it's quite interesting and we're working on as well. But uh, the, the classical process uh, that's, that's quite uh, well documented and researched, and there's a lot of companies doing this. Is photogrammetry, uh, which which takes a few photos of um, of products, and it reconstructs them, uh, reconstructs a, a mesh, and then it applies a texture from those photos on top of the mesh. And there's uh, there's tools and softwares that one can use to to make the process smooth. Uh, however, there's still problems around that where you have in the texture of the asset, you have a light baked in and you don't really want that. You would like light to reflect uh, properly when you render an image. Um, so so that's quite, um, quite
quite uh, something, yeah, that we're working on as well. So I suppose overall then, outside maybe of of yourself uh, and what you guys are doing at Neurolabs, is there anything that you're really excited for about computer vision or what do you think could be like, you know, one of the next biggest, biggest areas um, for, for computer vision? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. So, um, yeah, I mentioned this neural radiance fields. I think that's an interesting um, topic in implicit representations uh, for learning, you know, from three, learning 3D and in 3D, let's say. Uh, but personally, I'm super interested in uh, differentiable rendering. So it's also known as inverse graphics, and it consists of learning the parameters of a renderer such that you can create from images. So you give uh, you give a an algorithm, a few images of a scene, and using differentiable rendering, you're inferring the parameters of a renderer. Now, this is an extremely complex, and yeah, it's extremely complex topic, and computer graphics researchers have been working on this for a very long time. And there, I, it feels like they're making a lot of progress. As an outsider who's, who's learning about these things and learning about computer graphics, I'm super excited to see, you know, how you can give an, give an algorithm an image and it can tell you what type of light the renderer has used uh, or what, what kind of intensity the renderer is using or where the camera is positioned and so on. And yeah, you have already tools. So for example, there's Pytorch 3D, which allows you to infer some, some basic properties of a renderer or of a rasterizer. And I'm excited to see where this, this goes next in the next few years. Yeah. yeah thank Excellent. You. Well, look, I, I think that that does us uh, for time, Patrick. Uh, that's absolutely fantastic. So for everyone listening, this is the Computer Vision in Production podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly. Today's guest was Patrick Fullop. Patrick is a co-founder and CTO at Neurolabs. Patrick, it was it was great to have you on the show. Thanks a lot, Anthony. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, whoever is listening to this, uh, you're doing computer graphics, computer vision, and you're interested in this, and you've been working on this, please reach out. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Computer Vision in Production podcast with your host, Anthony Kelly. To make sure you get updates on the latest episodes of the show, make sure you subscribe on your preferred podcast listening app or add me on LinkedIn. Thank you.